In season two of The Sneak, a podcast from For the Win in USA Today, we will tell the story of surfing champion Jack Roland Murphy, who in 1964 pulled a heist that made him the most famous jewel thief in the country. But that was just the beginning of his story, one that quickly spun out of control and then turned deadly. The Sneak, Murders at Whiskey Creek is available now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or experience the entire series right now, ad-free, exclusively on Wondery+. Download the Wondery app and hear all of Season 2 today. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Featuring For the Winds, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. The Counter, diving deeper into the NFL with advanced stats, film study, and expert guests. This is The Counter. Now, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Counter. Stephen, we've made it. It's the first week of NFL football, man. I I still don't believe a game's going to happen on Thursday. I'm not going (laughs) to believe it until I see... Bill O'Brien calling a second and long run. It's just everything's so surreal. I mean, like, I, it's Labor Day weekend. Uh, the NBA and NHL playoffs are going on. Major League Baseball is at, like, game 30 for the season. Uh, I watched college football over the weekend. There, there was some college football. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure any of it was very good, but uh, it was college football nonetheless. Uh, here we are. I'm Chris Corman, an editor with For the Win, uh, joined by our lead NFL writer, Stephen Ruiz. This is our NFL podcast, The Counter. We've been going now for, uh, what is this, our 28th episode. Uh, yeah. Long stretch since the NFL draft through a global pandemic that brought the country to a grinding halt and made many of you not listen to podcasts because... You weren't going anywhere, but the country is opening up a little bit more and maybe you'll, you'll listen now. I don't know. Uh, but we are here excited for the season. It, it really does feel very surreal. We've been previewing the divisions uh, our last four episodes. We did two divisions each. Uh, so, you know, jump back and listen to those. Also had a couple great episodes during the summer. Uh, Steven did a fantastic series on, uh, getting pressure on how NFL defensive coordinators manipulate offenses. Uh, and I really think if you read that story, which is chock full of clips of film and diagrams, um, that it will bring you an inch closer to understanding as you watch football sort of understanding how teams are trying to block and how defenses are trying to rush. Uh, you know, as Steven points out on Twitter a lot, like even NFL coaches need to watch film multiple times to really understand it. So, it, this, you know, this is not something where you're just going to be able to pick it up, but uh, it will get you a little bit closer and it's very fascinating. Uh, we also had some, uh, some really emotional episodes, uh, one with Mike Sykes, a writer from our site, uh, talking about race in America and everything that happened this summer. Um, you know, so we've done a, a bunch of episodes I'm really proud of. Uh, you know, so there's plenty to check out as you get ready for this week. But today we want to uh, uh, take a look basically at what we think is going to happen the rest of the season. We've talked about every team and where they think they're, where we think they're going to finish, but uh, we'll map out. Uh, most importantly, who we think is going to win the Super Bowl and how the playoffs will go. But we'll also take a look at individual awards and we'll figure out which teams are going to finish with the worst record and therefore be in position to draft high next year. The counter. But first, let's turn a little bit to some of the news. There, you know, there obviously has been stuff happening with the ending of camps and teams trimming down to their 53 man roster. Uh, you know, an, an, uh, a camp unlike any we've ever seen without any preseason games, without really uh, the same level of coverage that we're accustomed to, even from reporters who could not get close to the field and could not really map out, okay, who's here with the ones who's, I mean, it's just different than it's ever been. So we're dealing with a lot less information than we generally have. Um, but, uh, 
you know, so there's, I feel like there was not as much uh, variance in what we expected to happen from what actually happened. You know, there just were not that many surprises. I think teams naturally in the NFL are conservative and uh, will sort of go with the veterans, which is why you see someone like uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick starting for the Dolphins um, instead of Tua Tagovailoa, who is, you know, a rookie who didn't have, was coming off an injury and didn't have much uh, time to really prepare. Uh, Cam Newton, as expected, won the starting job in New England. I, you know, I, do you think Jared Stidham was ever actually in it? No, I, yeah, I don't think anyone who's watched Jared Stidham play football for an extended period of time thought he was in it. Like just ask, all you had to do was ask Auburn fans, like who's the better quarterback. They would have told you. Right. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, it's uh, a, a perfectly normal coach thing to do to hype up Stidham and hype up the competition and hype up, you know, and, and Bill Belichick is, despite winning all the Super Bowls and being the greatest coach of all time, he's still like that petty that he's going to like create fake controversies. And he's not even it. he's not even revealing his his starting <laughs> kicker yet. We're like three <laughs> days away from the season. because He apparently thinks it's going to give him a competitive advantage, which I don't well, see how that happens. But the Dolphins are probably just shaking in their boots right now, not knowing well, whether they're going to have to go up against Nick Folk or the the white supremacist kicker. Yeah, I was going to say, I know which kicker, uh, you know, maybe does not deserve the chance to play uh, a prominent role in the NFL, but uh, it's neither here nor there. Um, uh, Mitch Trubisky uh, running it back in Chicago. I'm shocked, man, that Nick Foles could not beat him out. Uh, I thought I I maintain that Mitch was going to win this job. I I just thought he gives them something that Nick Foles doesn't give them, and that's some mobility. Yeah. And yeah. you're going to need that with that offense. I was, I was joking, by the way. I was not shocked that Nick Foles oh, really? beat him out. I am you're very familiar with, with Mitch. Nick Foles. Yeah, I mean, uh, he won you a Super Bowl. How dare you? No, but that's it's it's it, man. The battery's the battery's uncharged now. I mean, there's nothing left for Nick Foles to do except. I don't know why he's not just in Philly, like hanging out, because everyone would just buy him whatever he wanted. You know? Is he, well, you live in Baltimore. Is does Trent Dilfer get the same kind of respect in Baltimore? That <laughs> no, Dilfer? no, because Trent Dilfer didn't do anything. He just that's true. he just let the defense. He was uh, pretty good in the Super Bowl, though. Like yeah, did it, that team went like two months without scoring a touchdown and won the yeah. Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, you know, Joe Flacco was really good in the Super Bowl too. So uh, yeah, there's there's that as well. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Trubisky, uh, I mean, I don't know. Do you see any potential way he takes the step forward that they're hoping for? That's, uh, the, uh, you know, I made fun of the bears for this before, but they are the most, uh, they're everything you read out of their camp is like the most, like this, the, the mood has changed. There's, <laughs> there's something in the air tonight. It's like, what, what are you guys talking about? Like, there's no. This is not magic. Like you need to have talented football players to beat other talented football players. Uh, but there's so much of that going on with the Bears right now. Uh, do you see it coming to fruition? No, I don't. I don't like the things that Trubisky struggles at are things that he's been struggling at throughout his career, and it's they're things that don't tend to get better in in a hurry. Like his accuracy, like just misses easy throws all the time, and then his processing time—that's just like a natural thing you expect quarterbacks to be good at. And maybe that's a product of him only spending one year as a starter in college, which is why teams tend to stay away from those guys. Right, but like so, I, I guess you could argue that there's a chance that that does improve because he's getting more his getting more reps, but we haven't seen any reason to believe that during his NFL career. Yeah. Uh, it does not feel like this, <laughs> this is the year that that happens. Uh, other news, Jadavion Clowney has finally signed. He ended up with the Titans. Uh, apparently the saints tried to pull a sort of trade shenanigan situation where they would end up with Clowney and, and make it work financially. Uh, but they got word that the NFL was not going to let that happen which is a shame because, man, the Saints would have been just baffingly good with Jadavion Clowney coming off the edge. Also, that's um, a fun story. Like, why not let teams do that? I don't understand. I, it's not breaking the rules. 
I don't know if you've ever heard this before. I think I'm the first one to coin this ever, but I think NFL stands for no fun league. I'm not <laughs> I've never heard that. Yeah, yeah. I, I just came up with it. It's an original <laughs> thought to me. Uh, and I mean, I'm pretty just brilliant. So uh, yeah, for, for whatever reason, the league does not like fun. Uh, what does this do for the Titans? We talked about the Titans. I mean, I think we mentioned it when we went through that they were one of the teams that was rumored to uh, and has been all summer to be in on Clowney. Uh, Henry McKenna, our pal, uh, who is the editor of Patriots Wire and writes for For the Win, wrote yesterday that he did not think that uh, this would really you know, push the Titans over the top, that they are probably due for overall regression rather than getting better. I know he got a fair amount of hate mail. Uh, how do you <laughs> feel? Uh, what does this really do for Tennessee? Yeah, I'm right there with Henry. Uh, I agree with everything he wrote about them being due for regression. Like, I don't know how you can argue it at this point. It happens with the fan bases every year where the nerds will come out and say, look, this is not sustainable. You guys are probably not going to be very good or not as good next year. And then they call the nerds dumb and say they don't know anything about football. And then by October, it comes true and it they just I don't know. The nerds take their victory lap and then the, the <laughs> traditional football fans get mad at them and call them rude. Even nerdier nerds. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think it ha- it's going to happen. And, like, it has to happen. There's no way the Titans are going to be as good at play action. I don't think Derrick Henry is going to be as good as he was last year. But I do love this fit for not only Clowney but for the Titans because they really needed a dominant edge rusher. I don't know. He doesn't get the sacks, but he's obviously a right. physically talented guy. Like he's really good. And if you put him in position to get sacks, he's going to get them. And we saw that this was his most productive season as a pro was under Mike Vrabel when he was the coordinator for right. the Titans or the Texans, yeah. which is a reason why I thought this fit made sense from the very beginning of the off season. Um, I got that one right. At least. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, he is, uh, such a piece that has to be dealt with that, that the rest of the defense uh, can really be manipulated around it. Uh, you know, and, and right. a big part of what we talked about with the Titans is that they're losing Dean Pease, the defensive coordinator who is just a master at flummoxing uh, offensive coordinators, you know, did it to the Ravens last year uh, to win a playoff game that they probably should not have won. And and that's what's created a lot of the hype going into this season that the Titans can can even be better. Um, but they've lost peas, and now it's on to Brable to to make that happen. And certainly, you know, a, a piece like Clowney is somebody that he's familiar with. Uh, you know, I think certainly he, he not used him creatively. Not, Right. Yeah, he used him creatively in Houston. Like he'd stand him up as a linebacker and put him over the center, and that kind of dictated what. You can only do so many protections when there's a guy like Clowney standing right in front of the center. Right. And that that makes everyone else better. So even if Clowney doesn't get the sacks, I think he's going to make those young guys like Harold Landry and Jeffrey Simmons better. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the NFL, the cuts. Uh, like I said, this year, I think, uh, I'm not sure it was as uh, active as other years just because Teams are, you know, they they want to got they want to go into the season with guys who've been around. They're okay with that. They're not, uh, you know, I think they're they're erring on the side of caution um, as far as that goes. But any that surprised you? I mean, Adrian Peterson getting cut by the Redskins. It seemed like he was leading that job. Does that mean the Redskins are, you know, entering a little bit more of a rebuild than we thought? Or what? Are you reading anything into that at all? I have no idea what team you're talking about right now. Oh, yeah. The, God damn it. God, God. Can they just pick a name? The Washington <laughs> football team? The racial slurs? <laughs> uh, I, don't think it ma- I don't think it was going to matter. They weren't going to be a very good team anyway, and we know right. running backs don't tend to matter. Uh, <laughs> so I don't think it moves the needle at all. And he's going to the Lions, and they already had a bunch of backs. I really don't think – like this move – does not move the needle at all for the NFL landscape. I don't, nothing changes for me. How about uh, your buddy, Hakeem Butler, who was uh, <laughs> a, a high draft pick by the Arizona Cardinals? He taller. wasn't a high draft pick. He, he fell in the draft. Yeah, he was supposed but, to be a high draft pick. But you, I, I'm just trying to give you a victory lap, okay? I mean, how many times during this show have I pointed out that you had 
ridiculous takes that ended up being horribly wrong. And now this one you got right. And I just want, and you took, you took your victory lap on Twitter, but it was like Friday afternoon on Labor Day weekend. I don't think people were paying attention. So I just want to let, I want to let you go now. I appreciate that. Well, let me just say this. I'm not happy that Hakeem Butler got cut. I'm, I w- when I was taking my victory lap, which included me retweeting a bunch of people, it was people that were calling me an idiot and tell- saying I don't know what I'm talking about. Like that's who I was going at those people. I wasn't going at Butler. It's not. I'm not happy yeah, of, that. Of his course, career- we would we would never cheer an actual player uh, losing his job. That's that's not something. But Stephen getting a scout right is the <laughs> that's important. Yeah, I mean, you put that true. over the the well being of a of another human being. But it doesn't doesn't happen that often, so we have to point it out. I was not shocked that like I didn't even think there was any risk at me like slandering Hakeem Butler. He was getting like a lot of comparisons to Calvin Johnson before the draft, which I thought was just based off his highlight. Like it's hard to study film on receivers unless you actually have like the all 22 you can't do it based on the broadcast copy because then you're only really seeing his targets you're not seeing what he's doing down the field and how he's getting open and he was a guy that just couldn't get open and beyond getting not being able to get open he couldn't catch the ball like he led he led that class in drop percentage so if you can't get open and you can't catch the ball i'd like being big and making acrobatic catches every so often like that's not a sustainable trait so right. I was not surprised that he turned out to be a person that never played a snap in the NFL for the Cardinals. Yeah. Let me uh, let me bring you back down to earth, though. Uh, Josh Rosen, who was your number one <laughs> QB of nine uh, heading into, what was that, the 2018 draft. Um, he was cut by the Dolphins. He is signed on to the practice squad of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, you know, he probably had offers to be on an active roster, but he has guaranteed money anyway, so... Um, I, you know, it seems like he picked the situation that he wanted to be in. And I mean, I, you know, I guess learning from Tom Brady has some, has some, uh, value to it. Uh, but where do you think Josh Rosen's career goes from here? Is there any, I mean, it just feels like he's never really gotten a chance, uh, but, but of course, if he was great in preseason, he would have played, you know, but, uh, but where does he go from here? Uh, I think it's over. I'm giving up on him. I will say that. My evaluation of Josh Rosen came before I had access to all 22. So it does not count. That's a constant excuse with you. No, no, I'm only my takes from 2019 on count. So starting with Kyler Murray, I need coaches film to understand things. I do like, that's a a valid excuse. Anyway. Yeah. I I'm giving up on him. I, it would have happened by now. Like he got benched for Ryan Fitzpatrick for a team that was not interested in winning at all. Like that's just the most damning thing you could say about him. I, I don't see how he comes back from this. Like even his strengths as a passer, like his supposed strengths coming out of college, I don't think they've manifested themselves at the NFL level. Like he doesn't, he was billed as this like smart quarterback, but you don't see it. Like he's throwing into coverage. He's, he holds on to the ball way too long. He panics. Like I, I, there was, there was, there were flashes in his rookie season, but he was never able, able to build on him, and he, I think he's regressed as a player since then. Wow, that's, uh, yeah, that's that's painful. I know when to cut my losses. I'll say that. Yeah, uh, Josh Rosen. It should be pointed out was uh, a fierce and eloquent uh, uh, speaker on. Issues related to college sports, uh, you know, I think he has a pretty bright future ahead of him anyway. Uh, you know, just as someone who, whatever he opts to do, I think he'll probably figure it out. Uh, Mike Glennon, did you know that Mike Glennon was still bouncing around the league? Like he's. He, yeah, he was a so, Jaguar. He's still a guy. Uh, and now he's on the practice squad. Yeah, it's like the, the Bears and Jaguars just trade. They must like have. A connection they just like trade ideas they both do the same like the bears are doing the uh the bears are doing the Bortles thing with trubisky and the the jaguars like signed glennon i don't it's just a, a very weird connection between those two teams but yeah glennon it turns out glennon should have never been signed to that big deal he got in chicago who would have thought I was going to say this so mike glennon uh he's making two hundred thousand dollars this year it looks like uh and um, that'll bring him up to close to thirty million. <laughs> yeah, he's just 
just kind of running the practice squad. I mean, that's, I don't know. Good gig. A, Sweet yeah, gig. I mean, it's, it's hard to, hard to complain about that. Um, what else? Any other news interest you as we head in to uh, the new season? There's been fresh. Uh, I don't know why this is getting treated as news, uh, but there are fresh reports out that no NFL team has actually been interested in Colin Kaepernick. Uh, you know, that is, has been abundantly clear for several years now. And every, every sort of storyline that supposedly pushed some idea that the NFL, it's a, you know, the NFL had the sham workout last year. That was just total mess. Um, and every other time that a team, the Seahawks, the Ravens, they, they just come up with like, what was the Seahawks? Uh, the Seahawks excuse was that he's too good to be a backup, which like that doesn't, that doesn't <laughs> actually happen in the NFL. Like no one has ever actually made it, that decision. Uh, but there is, you know, it seems that Colin Kaepernick is, Kaepernick is never going to get a shot, despite the NFL, uh, despite Roger Goodell coming out and saying that he was he's sorry that they didn't listen to Kaepernick earlier and that they should have heard his message. Uh, he will remain blackballed for the time being. Uh, anything else? What else are you uh, sort of thinking about as we go into this week? Uh, I just saw that Peter King picked the Dolphins to win the AFC East, and that just Whoa. really, yeah, that Whoa. rocked me to my core. Whoa! It also it also brought me back to 2010. I don't know how I remember this, but I was like. There was like a magazine, I think it was Sports Illustrated, and they had a little ad for, I think it was NBC Sports, and they, they had like their little analysts, uh, I don't know why I said little analysts, they had their analysts make their uh, their predictions for the season in this ad, and I remember Peter King picking the Panthers to make the playoffs, and I was excited because Peter King was picking them to make the playoffs, and I, I was young, I didn't know any better, and then in that same <laughs> prediction thing, little ad, Jerome Bettis picked the Panthers to be the worst team in the NFL. And I was so <laughs> mad at Jerome Bettis. And I was like, this guy is an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, look at their roster. They they just re-signed all these guys. They're they're gonna be good. They won they won two games. They won two games. They wow. went two and fourteen. And then they drafted Cam Newton. So it was a good, it was a happy ending. But yeah, that that's all you need to know about Peter King's uh, optimistic preseason predictions. So is that what are you saying we should find we should seek out Jerome Bettis's uh picks for the season and at least get his those? opinion on Miami. He's he's the dude. <laughs> uh yeah, well speaking of that, why don't we jump ahead to our predictions and why don't we start with as you said, uh, sometimes the team has a, a bad season and it's actually the best thing that can happen because they get to pick a franchise quarterback. And by all accounts, we think that will happen uh, in the spring for at least two teams. We know that Trevor Lawrence and uh, Justin Fields appear to be, uh, you know, I, I don't know, is this the best quarterback duo we've seen since Luck and RG3? And I feel like Goff and Wentz weren't super hyped. I don't. I mean, is this where does this battle rank out for you? If we're basing it off of like pre-draft hype, I think you would say Winston and Mariota was up there. Oh yeah, you're right. But yeah, I would say like in that hindsight, was par- that was partially just because you and Luke fought about it and slack all day. So <laughs> that's true. But uh, I would yeah, I would say they're probably the best since then, since 2012, and. I think this is the year to be a bad team. Like if there's any year like last year, <laughs> I don't think it was a very good year to be a bad team because Burrow was not on the radar. And like we, you were, you had to get excited about Justin Herbert, which was hard to do even back then. So yeah, this is the year to tank. If anyone's, if any te- fan base is on the bay, uh, on the fence, just, just root against your team every week. Trust right. me. Um, and there's a couple other good, I mean, Panea Sewell is uh, an offensive tackle from Oregon who just opted out. Uh, most people see him as a top five pick. Jamar mm-hmm. Chase, the wide receiver from LSU, has already opted out as well. Is seen as a top pick. Uh, Micah Parsons is opted out from Penn State and is probably a top ten pick, a linebacker. Uh, so there are and, you know, uh, and Trey Lance, the third quarterback, is also a guy that could go top five, and he uh, is right. apparently only playing one college football game this season. Poor Trey Lance. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, 
we will see how all this goes. But w- which teams in your mind, I know you've gone through and picked every single game and plotted out how this season's going to go. How do you see the draft order shaping up? Yeah, so after I picked every game, I was I looked at the draft order and I was very upset because with the fifth pick, I have the Panthers, which yeah, is I, I'm i hoping as a Panthers fan that they are at that at the top of the draft. But they were bested by four teams and I have the Jaguars picking first. They finish two and 14 in my picks. And I will say this, like when you're going through and picking every game, I feel like there's going to be a lot of extremes. Like you're going to have teams that win like too many games, like teams that you expect to be good are like going 15 and one. Then the teams that you expect to be bad are basically going like one and 15. But I have the Jaguars at two and 14 at the top. I have the Dolphins second. So I am not on board with Peter King. Yeah. You and Peter are diverging a little bit. And I really, I think, I think the Dolphins are a better team on paper than that. So I was kind of surprised that that's how I ended up doing it. And then we have Washington at picking third. I'm actually higher on them because I like Dwayne Haskins and then the Giants picking fourth, which I would not be surprised if that's the case. And if they're in the market for a quarterback again, although I do like Daniel Jones a bit, yeah. but I could see Dave Gettleman getting fired and a new GM wanting to start over. Mm-hmm. And then the Panthers fifth, as I, as I already said. So, uh, you know, obviously the Jags take uh, Trevor Lawrence, at, you know, everyone's sort of already talking about that and even whether or not they'll make a run for his college coach, Dabo Sweeney. Uh, but uh, what do you see the Dolphins doing if they actually have the number two pick? I know what you would do is you would trade down from even more draft capital because uh, that's just generally the right thing to do. But what do you think actually happens? If that right. You just, you just took my answer. Yeah. They're going to, I think yeah. they are going to trade down based on what okay. they've done. This front right. office has done. That's kind of been their MO. I could see them trading down. I could see the Panthers actually trading up for, right. I was going to say that it seems like the Panthers would be most likely. What other teams would be looking for a quarterback after the season? The bears. I have the bears. The bears that would be six in this situation, okay. in this scenario. I have the Bengals seventh. I don't think they're going to be looking for a quarterback. Uh, The Jets at eight. They might. uh, It depends on how it goes for Darnold. I'm not very high on him, obviously. And then you have the Lions at ninth and the Chargers at 10th and the Raiders at 11th. I could see any of those teams kind of making a move up for a quarterback. But I would not be surprised if the Dolphins traded down, the Panthers traded up. And I could see Washington staying in place because trading down is not a thing Daniel Snyder's teams tend to do. And they do need a tackle, so I could see them taking Sewell from Oregon because they need a right. left tackle after trading Trent Williams. So I, I could see that that top three working out. Yeah, makes sense. Giants might might like you said. I mean, if if there's turnover in the front office, maybe they would they would restart. But if uh, if it's Daniel Jones, if he has a decent season, then it seems like maybe uh, giving him a wide receiver with Jamar Chase would be. Yeah, that's a good call. Would be a potential path for them. <laughs> Who knows if Ryan Pace sticks around? I think Mitch might be able to stick around, and maybe the Bears are picking something else other than a quarterback. It would not oh, be man. the craziest. Outcome. No, no, it's uh, yeah. You never know. Uh, all right, so let's let's figure out. This is the uh, there. There is this year seven teams from each uh, conference will make the playoffs. Uh, that is part of the new CBA. This is the first playoff expansion since, what, 1990? Is that right? Am I remembering correctly? It's been a long uh, time. We, we were, you were in preschool. I was in elementary school. Uh, but it doesn't change things too much. Uh, essentially now only the, num- only the number one overall seed in each conference gets a bye. And so there will be uh, – three games in each conference during the wild card um, weekend. So uh, it's, it's funny to think about that now. It's just going to be a packed weekend of football, but like that's what also happened with uh, when the NBA and NHL came back and they were in the bubbles and they just like sort of threw a bunch of games at us. And it was fantastic. Uh, right. It just felt great. Uh, you know, it's like, it's like the first weekend of the NCAA basketball tournament. It turns out that, when you give people a ton of sports, they actually just binge it um, in their in their final. I also think this makes this makes like the home field advantage race a lot right. more important because right. the nerds have like pointed out how important a bye week is. Like 
teams that have a bye just have a much better shot at getting to the Super Bowl. So this it matters in that in that respect. I don't think that seventh team is going to matter all that much and change things at all, but that is going to have the biggest effect on the playoffs. Right. Uh, let me. Uh, so you actually have. Just want to make sure. I'm looking here just to make sure we we know who our seven are because that's. Uh, that's really the number we need to look at here. And so for the AFC, you ended up with the Ravens getting the number one overall seed, Chiefs, Colts, Patriots, and then the wild card teams would be the Steelers, Bills, and Browns. Uh, break it down. What, what did you see there when you when you mapped this out? So I ended up with the Ravens and the Chiefs having the same record. Okay. And they both finished 13-3 and three in my picks. And it came down to a tiebreaker. The the uh, Chiefs and Ravens play in week three in Baltimore on a Monday night. And I just think, although I think the Chiefs are probably the better team out, out of those two, I, I think just the situation, just playing at home early in the season on a Monday night, I think that, I mean, we don't know how the the lack of crowd is going right, to affect right, things. Right. But, yeah. but I think like home field advantage has more to do with just Traveling, travel, and like you're in a visitor's locker room that's not nice. I mean, there's just all this like little stuff that that really matters. Yeah, I don't know how much like the fans being there actually matters. We're gonna find out this season. That's gonna be one of the interesting things about the season. But yeah, so I think the Ravens win that, and that's the tiebreaker, and that gives them home field advantage throughout the playoffs. And then as for the divisional picks, I don't think these are any of these are like very hot take-ish. Like the Chiefs are obviously. The best team in the AFC West. Maybe the closest thing is the AFC East, where I have the Patriots outlasting the Bills, and actually have the that game that division being separated by one game. I have the Patriots winning eleven games and the Bills winning ten, which I think is how they finished last year, if I recall correctly. And then in the South, I've been high on the Colts all offseason. I think they have one of the easiest schedules. I think they're with Philip Rivers. I think their their offense is really going to take off. Right. All right. Uh, and then over in the NFC, um, you ended up with the Saints uh, grabbing the number one overall seed, followed by the Seahawks, Cowboys, Vikings, Bucks, 49ers, and Eagles. Um, how, how did this map out once you made all your picks? I think the Vikings and the, the Seahawks were the two changes from when we did the podcast. And I don't know. I kind of just talked myself into the Seahawks. Like they got Josh Gordon back. They didn't sign a pass rusher like Jadavion Clowney. They were, Seahawks fans are really banking on him coming for pass rush, but I don't know. I just think the 49ers are going to take some step steps back. They're really relying on defense, which we've seen is not uh, a very viable model year to year. And then that receiving core really, really, you know, concerns me. And I don't know if Jimmy G is good enough to carry that offense on his own. They do have Kyle Shanahan, which, I still have them winning, I think, 10 games. Yeah, I have them going 10 and 6. I have the Seahawks going 12 and 4. I think that's maybe 12 and 4 is a little too high for the Seahawks, but they have the best quarterback in the, in the division in all of the AFC, or NFC. So I'm not really too concerned with that pick. And then the Saints and Bucks was kind of one of the closer divisional races, but I, I'm high on both teams. I had the Saints going 13 and 3 and the Bucks going 11 and 5. And that game, that division being decided by their two games, I picked the the Saints in both of them. And then the Vikings leapfrogged the Packers for me with the Ngakwe signing. I, I'm not a huge fan of it because I don't think it makes them Super Bowl contenders, but I think it makes them the favorites in the NFC North because that was really the biggest question mark. Who do they have? Who is their second pass rusher behind Hunter? And now they have an established guy. I think that helps the secondary out. I, I don't think the offense is really going to miss a beat. Right. So... I like the Vikings in that division. I think the the Packers are going to play more like a nine and seven team, which their point differential suggests that they were basically a nine and seven team last year that just got really lucky in close games. Right, right, yeah. I think that's a change from when we originally did the podcast uh, on that on this division. Um, yeah, I think you had the Packers fishing first, but uh, it's it's the the whole that one is very close. I mean, it's just uh, a lot of parity there and it just it it sure feels like from a distance that the Packers are poised to not have a lot of things go right this year to the that the trajectory seems downward for sure mm-hmm. um 
So those are the 14 teams. Uh, let's jump to awards, uh, you know, because they're based on the regular season. Uh, and just how do you see things individually shaping up? Uh, obviously, Patrick Mahomes is, you know, uh, on pace to be one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Uh, Lamar Jackson is coming off an MVP season. Uh, so the MVP race, in your mind, how does it shape up? Deshaun Watson just got a huge deal um, from the Texans, a long-term deal that we were waiting for. Uh, you know, nothing out of the ordinary sort of in line with what quarterbacks have been getting. Uh, he does not have the greatest help, so I, I'm not sure that he's going to be in this discussion. But I know that you think he's that caliber of player that, that should be considered an MVP. And, and given the, how little help he has, he might be actually the most important player to his team. Um, but how do you see this shaping up? Yeah, I have the Texans going 9-7 and seven and just missing out on a wild card spot, which kind of takes him out of the race. I actually have Russell Wilson winning it for the first time. I, in his career, which it's kind of a surprising thing to a lot of people. Right. Uh, if I, I have Seattle going twelve and four, so if Seattle goes in twelve and four, goes twelve and four, I'm expecting them to score a lot of points. And like Wilson has a very good supporting cast, but I I don't think it's one that most fans will see as a great one. Like no, he, not at all. Yeah. And that's I think that's what separates him from. Patrick Mahomes, who has like all the weapons you could want, and Andy Reid, and also Wilson has this narrative going for him where like the coaching staff makes it harder on him. So like you throw in voter fatigue with guys like Lamar and Mahomes, and then throw in the narrative, and if the Seahawks go twelve and four and win that division, I think it, it's a no brainer. Like Russell Wilson has never won it. I think this is the year he wins it. And then, uh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I have. Uh, I almost picked Drew Brees for the award because I think he's really set up to have a monster year. But I, I picked him for Offensive Player of the Year. Yeah. Although he doesn't have an MVP either, so the narrative thing could work out in his favor. Oh, that's a good call. Uh, how about Defensive Player of the Year? I went with Miles Garrett, and I did that because I looked at the standings after I made all my picks, and I saw the Browns were in the playoffs, and I was like. Uh, I just think Garrett is like a dominant player who who hasn't really broken out yet. I could see him going for 20 sacks, and if the, the Browns make the playoffs, I think defense will play a large role in that, and I think he'll just end up with the award. I, I, I don't know. The Defensive Player of the Year award is like kind of weird to me. It's not like the MVP where you know it's going to be a quarterback every year. Like they actually, right. There's actually some variety. But pass rusher, I think, is the best bet just because they have stats that you can actually like put to their name. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, these awards are just a little weird in general just because uh, it sort of depends on who's voting for them and where they're coming from. And um, it's just a lot of times don't make a ton of sense. Uh, but I'm not even going to ask you who your coach of the year is because I, I know that it's probably Bill Belichick. Yeah, you're right. But yeah. it's not like he gets voted. He gets votes for this every year. Like, he doesn't win it every year, even though he probably should. I think this right. year, though, with Tom Brady gone, it just makes so much sense. If they make the playoffs and Cam Newton has a good year and the defense doesn't take too much of a step back, I think right. he's a shoe in f for the award. Right. And they have a fair number of opt outs as well. Uh, right. You know, so I think people will, um, will sort of factor that in that. You know, they're going to so have a lot of up. they're going to have a lot of young players playing on the defense. So it's right. really going to take a lot of good coaching. Like he doesn't have those coaches on the field like Patrick Chung and and Dante Hightower this year. It's right. going to really make his job Kyle, harder. Right, lost Kyle Van Noy, Deron Harmon, uh, all those guys. Uh, yeah, I think Belichick is a good pick. Offensive rookie of the year. What are you thinking? I'm going chalk and picking Joe Burrow just because yeah. it seems like this award is usually a quarterback's award unless they're like the only way it's not as if a running back does well, but I don't see any running back outside of Clyde Edwards Hilaire stealing the award from him. And he's, there's just too many mouths to feed in Kansas city. And if Burrow right. just looks competent, I think he'll win the award. Right. It's not like he lacks weapons uh, and it's, you know, and he's in it right. off. At, you know, I mean, it should be, you figure, I, I think we've sort of looked at it as he's, he can step in and be a competent NFL quarterback. Uh, it's just a question of whether he, all the things that made him special for LSU are not going to really translate right away. Uh, but 
you know, he looks like he'll be able to run an NFL team and, uh, you know, they're going to rely on him and showcase him. And he has guys to throw to. So, and just being a quarter, a rookie quarterback that plays 16 games, like that's been basically enough in years past. Like Teddy Bridgewater, I think, won this award. Jameis Winston, I think, won it. Kyler Murray didn't have great stats last year. I think his film was better than his numbers, but he won the award. So I don't think the bar is that that high for a quarterback, whereas for other positions, I think the bar is pretty high for rookie of the year. Right, yeah. What would a guard have to do to win uh, rookie of the year? <laughs> I don't know, because Quentin Nelson didn't win it. I think I he was an all-pro. <laughs> They would act, they would have to murder someone on a, on a power play where they're pulling around. They would have to murder a linebacker on the field to win that award. Oh, man. That's grim. Uh, defensive rookie of the year. What's your thought there? I have Patrick Queen just because I was like looking for a linebacker because I feel like linebackers are – it's easier for them to win this award because they could – because the home scorekeepers can pad their tackling stats. And if they're just running around the field all the time and they're on a good team, I think it's easier for them to win the award. I think Patrick queen playing with the Ravens has all of that going, going for him. And I think he's going to get a decent amount of sacks just being in that defense with uh wink Martindale calling all those blitzes. What about a comeback player of the year? I have Gronk. Man, I, uh, I, Gronky. I toyed with the idea of playing, of uh, picking Baker Mayfield, but, I don't know how well that Browns offense is going to play. I was kind of scared away from picking it, but I do have them going nine and seven. So maybe I should have picked Baker, but I'm going with Gronk. I see him. I can, I wouldn't be surprised if he catches 10 touchdowns next year and this I, season. I like that you actually, in our document here, you've, you've also written uh, dark horse award picks. I'm too much of a coward to actually pick. <laughs> like this is the other side of your brain just seeping out onto the page. These are the picks I actually wanted to make, and Baker Mayfield is my comeback player of the year for that. These are these are juicy picks. Why? So why do you why uh, why are you going chalk? Uh, because people come back at you and say, "Look, you picked this wrong," or why not just why not just throw caution to the wind? None of this matters. Because I don't want someone in the intro to their podcast talking about me like we talked about Peter King picking the Dolphins. <laughs> <laughs> I think Peter. I think Peter King will probably be all right. I mean, the guy is. <laughs> Yeah, but I don't have Peter King's clout. Right, right. Yeah. But Peter King, Peter King could end you. Like, if he talked about you the way that uh, we talked about him, that would be it for you. So, yeah, that's true. Uh, but, yeah, your, uh, so your award picks that I'm too much of a coward to actually pick, MVP Philip Rivers, that is juicy. I, I actually could see that happening. I mean, Frank Reich is such a good coach. Uh, and I don't feel like Rivers has been paired with – a mind like that in ever. In the I think NFL? that's really the only juicy one though. Okay. Uh, offensive player of the year, Dalvin cook kind of juicy, but he's yeah. like, he's in a contract year. So I could see him like, you know, right. putting all his effort into it. He, Although what, I think the contract is the contract year, year thing. Has anyone ever looked into that? Is that actually a thing? I don't I'm sure that the nerds have looked into it, right? Or economists like sports economists. Yeah. Also another thing that I'm interested in looking at is, uh, and now I just, I already forgot. Oh, the change of the vaunted change of scenery. Oh yeah. yeah. Does that That's, work out for anybody? I'm sh- I, I bet that like, uh, the sports economist people have looked at it, but that's a good question. Uh, defensive player of the year, Darius Leonard. Just, lots, just lots, lots of tackles, tackles lots of yeah. stats. <laughs> I, I'm very high on the Colts in these. Yeah, darker... you're, uh, you're, you're big in the Colts. Coach of the year, Frank Reich, totally <laughs> makes sense to me. He's a great coach. Offensive rookie of the year, Justin Jefferson. Uh, yeah, I, I think he's going to get a lot, a lot of balls. Yeah, he's going to get a lot of opportunity. I think he's going to get things schemed up for him. And he's a guy that can do damage after the catch. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if he puts up good numbers. And the Vikings, are, I think they're going to win that division. So. They're yeah. going to get some awards. All right. So for your extreme, uh, uh, your your galaxy brain um, defense rookie of the year, you have Javon Kinlaw from the 49ers uh, replacing DeForest Buckner. Why Why this pick? I mean, he's a freak. He's a, he's a, he's a beast. Uh, but do you see him putting up numbers enough to win this award? Or what's your thinking here? Yeah, I think just playing in that on that defensive line will be enough for him because let's say he replaces DeForest Buckner's production. DeForest Buckner, he kind of had a, a down year 
Oh, well, for his standards, and it, right. he had seven and a half sacks. I think if Kinlaw gets seven and a half sacks, I, I don't think he's going to have to do as much as um, as much of the uh, dirty work as Buckner did last year. So I think he'll have more opportunities. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets eight or nine sacks. And if he gets that, I, I think he has a decent shot at winning it. Yeah, I mean, it's a great line. And, uh, you know, when you have that much talent, it's like – Sort of just depends on which way the quarterback turns, who gets the actual right. sack, who gets the sack in the end. So uh, a lot of luck involved. And then your comeback player of the year, interesting one. I think you mentioned this already, but Baker Mayfield. Um, man, it just feels like we've been on a little bit of a roller coaster with Baker. Uh, what are you seeing that, that gives you this hope here? That he's going to be playing in a system that kind of hides his weaknesses, which I think the longer he has to hold the ball, the the worse he becomes as a quarterback. His feet get a little out of order. He's he gets a little antsy in the pocket. I I think playing in that sort of Shanahan Kubiak system, which he's going to be doing under Stefanski, is going to make things. Is going to he won't have to think as much, and he won't have to go through reads as much. And that's I think when he gets into trouble. So with more defined reads, I do think he's an accurate quarterback, and that's really what matters in this system. Right. It's are, are Baker Mayfield and and Jimmy Garoppolo more similar than people realize? I mean, I, that's that's pretty much your your take on Garoppolo, and you've done a lot of film breakdown of, Baker, of Mayfield too. But just that if if a coach is giving them what they need to do rather than asking them to figure out what they need to do, then they they can do it but it really needs to be that laid out for them. Yeah, I think in that way, they definitely are similar. Where they differ is, I would say, Jimmy G is better at like the mental aspects of it before the snap and like coming up with quick decisions where I don't think that's really Baker's strong suit. But Baker, I think, is a better playmaker outside of the structure right. of the offense, which right. sometimes gets him into trouble, but it's something you want when things aren't going right. Like when the defense is winning the play call battle, which right. doesn't really happen with San Francisco all that often. <laughs> yeah, true. But it happened a lot with Cleveland last year. <laughs> all, right. Uh, all right. So let's jump uh, back to the playoffs. We gave you the seven that we think will make it. So um, let's just jump right in on the uh, wild card weekend. Like we said, uh, six games going to be a fun, I, you know, the NFL will spread them out over time and, uh, you know, this is all a money grab, so they'll find a way to <laughs> to elongate this whole process. But it will be really fun uh, to uh, have all of these games to look forward in, in week one of the playoffs. Um, so in the AFC, you have the Ravens with the bye. Remember, only one team gets a bye now, uh, and that's the Ravens in your scenario, which leaves us with uh, Chiefs, Browns, Colts, Bills, and Patriots, Steelers. Uh, and that's how you see um, it ending up. No, no upsets in your view. The division winners all take out the wild card uh, teams, which uh, fair enough. Um, I think that all makes sense. Uh, but yeah. I, I do think I do think the Colts beating the Bills might be an upset. Okay, like, not based on seeding, but obviously only one team can win the AFC East. So right. the I win. could see that being considered an upset. Yeah, I mean the Bills. Yeah, the Bills' defense is very good. I mean that that would be a really fun game because I think the Colts' offense, as you've said, uh, I think will really surprise some people this year. That Rivers is going to have a, a superb year, um, and then the Bills' defense is certainly going to be one of the better in the league. So that would be a great game. Um, so let's go to the divisional round: Chiefs, Colts, Ravens, Patriots. How do you see in those games shake out? I don't think either one is like going to be particularly close, like especially the Chiefs game. I th I just think the Chiefs are a terrible matchup for what that Colts defense has been the last two years, where they play a lot of static zone defense. Although I do think they evolved a fair bit last year. They were different from what they were in 2018. I don't know what 2020 is going to look like, but I mean, you could say that about any defense going up against the Chiefs. I just don't see that one being close at all. I think that the, the the gap in talent is just too wide. Patriots, Ravens, on the other hand, like on paper, the Ravens are clearly the better team, but you know, it's Belichick and right. He's going to come up with I'm never going to count him out. Right. But the thing I will say is that mobile quarterbacks seem to give him a lot of trouble. So if there's any team that's going to 
be able to overcome whatever benefit you know Belichick provides with this coaching. I think it's the Ravens, and they also have a great staff themselves. Right, right. Uh, Dean Pease did work for Bill Belichick once upon a time, so uh, you know probably some phone calls there to be had. Um, but yeah, that would be that would be a good one. So that gives us Ravens hosting the Chiefs in the AFC Championship. Who you got? I'm taking the Ravens. And oh boy, it's. It's mostly due to the fact that I didn't want to be boring and pick the Chiefs again. That's literally the only reason. Like it's preseason predictions, just just try to be as interesting as possible, and that was my attempt at being interesting. Like there's no reason why I should pick against the Chiefs. I thought besides you, Lamar Jackson, I thought you did it because the twelve people in my neighborhood that I've forced to listen to our podcast uh, <laughs> now they will they will be excited and uh, they won't. Hey, I know people back in Baltimore too. I. They won't. I was they living won't, in Colombia, so they won't trash talk us when we see them. All right, so we got the Ravens headed to the Super Bowl once again. Man, this this town uh, obviously it lost its football team in the middle of the night back in the eighties. That probably was terrible for everyone, but since then, been pretty spoiled with some good teams. Um, right. So we're headed back to the Super Bowl here. Uh, people will be excited. Um, NFC, our seven teams are the Saints, Seahawks, Cowboys, Vikings, Bucks, 49ers, Eagles. Saints get the bye. That leaves us with the Seahawks. Uh, you have them beating the Eagles, the Cowboys beating the 49ers. And you do have a wildcard team advancing here with the Buccaneers beating the Vikings. Um, you know, that seems likely that that is how that game is called by Vegas too, uh, as we go into it. What's, uh, what are you seeing in these uh, opening round games here? I'm just assuming Carson Wentz won't be playing in this playoff game. Like he won't. How dare you? The Seahawks don't have Jadavion Clowney to hurt him this year. So So, that's true. Somehow uh, Josh McCown will start that game. He just added to the happen. He'll just be, he'll be like wearing his high school uh, jersey, like his high school team jersey by accident. Uh, he'll, he'll, He'll use the wrong plays. It'll be like the high school play and it'll just, it'll be amazing. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think these all make sense. I mean, this is, this is I all. think the Cowboys 49ers is, is probably the most surprising pick. Yeah, but I know how much you like Dak, so you're... Right, I just think Dak is going to be... I mean, now that I think about it, I probably should have picked Dak for my MVP pick. That probably that would have been the most interesting pick, but I think he's going to put up that type of season, and I I do expect the 49ers to take a step or two back this year. I don't think they're going to be as good as they were last year because they were just so dominant on defense, and it's just so hard to get 11 guys to play at the same level as they did in the previous year. Right, exactly. Um, and then Bucks, Bucks over Vikings, I mean, I think we all think that Tom Brady is going to find a way, and uh, you know he has so much talent around him, more, more than he's had certainly in – a decade um and the Buccaneers. especially by that time in the right, season right like, things will come together yeah and the bucks defense you know as you pointed out when we did the preview is yeah, yeah they're probably the beneficiaries of brady as much as anyone because they're just not going to have short fields that uh can really run a defense down and you just don't have much of a chance i mean it's it's in some some ways it's just going to be uh a more conservative offense because Brady is a more conservative player than Jameis Winston and mm-hmm. um, the defense, it'll work out for them. So I, you know, I think that certainly makes a lot of sense. So that gives us Seahawks uh, playing the Cowboys and the saints ending up with the bucks. How do you see those games going? I have, I have the, uh, I guess, no, not the favorites winning both game. Oh, I guess I do. The Seahawks over the Cowboys and the saints over the bucks. I, I'm really high on the Seahawks team and I've come around lately. Like if you would have asked me a month ago, I would have been like, I don't even think the Seahawks are making the playoffs, but the more you look at the roster, the more I think it just makes sense on paper. And I think this is the year that they let Russell Wilson throw the ball a ton and it's going to work out for him. I obviously have a lot of faith in him. I'm picking him to win MVP and I think it's going to carry over into the playoffs and he's it, I just don't think that Cowboys team has enough defensive talent in the secondary to stop him. I know the defensive line is very good, but if anyone's able to elude a pass rush and exploit secondaries after a lot of time, it's Russell Wilson. I think that's what we're going to see in that game. I'm predicting it would be a high-scoring game. 
Hold on one second. I have to write down that you said you think this is the year they let Russell Wilson throw because <laughs> it, it feels like that one's going to come back. I, I'm sure you saw that heat chart that was going around of like when teams played well uh, and when they took leads. And like most of the teams that just made, you know, like the Ravens were just always ahead. So it was always green. And, uh, you know, most of the teams, if they were bad, it was just sort of red all along. But Seattle was like, Reddish, 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 and then in the fourth quarter, just green. <laughs> they let Russell Wilson actually throw the football. How, like, <laughs> I know Pete Carroll and Brian Schottenheimer have Twitter accounts. Like, how have they not seen some of this evidence that suggests they should let him throw the ball earlier in games and not acted upon it? Like, I, how have you not adjusted yet? Yeah, I, I just don't get it. Just to appease the fans, just give them one season. <laughs> And if it doesn't work out, you could be like, see, we told you, but they won't even give them one season. The Seahawks surely have people in the building who like, it's one thing. I mean, I don't listen to Twitter either. Like, you know, I mean, I guess I'm supposed to, we're the media. (laughs) You write a lot of stuff on there. So I see what you're saying, but, uh, but like there should be people in the building who can say these things, right? Like they should have hired, even if they don't listen to them, like, the Ravens are the team that like most actively is like, yes, we bring the nerds to the table and what the nerds say we actually use. But I, I assume that all the other franchises have nerds stashed away somewhere and would eventually like see what they're saying, but uh, does not seem to be I, happening. I'm sure they have like someone that's into analytics on that staff, but here's my, I this is something I always say is that our definition of analytics isn't, might not be the same as the team's definition of analytics. Like, I think that's definitely the case in like a place like Carolina where David Tepper is apparently this big analytics guy. I I really want to know what analytics he's looking at. Cause like he could look at like passer rating, like passer rating in the fourth quarter and consider that analytics. I, I, I need to see what the Seahawks are. It's just numbers, you know, like that's, uh, it's just the numbers that we picked to, to be interested in. Um, so, okay. So you, you, you've got the saints and the Seahawks facing off in the NFC championship. Uh, which team is moving forward here? I mean, this, it's just, it's a fun game to think about. This is, uh, Russell Wilson and Drew Brees, both guys you mentioned as potential first time MVP uh, of the league. Uh, just a really fun game to imagine. How do you see it going? I'm thinking the saints just because. I don't have any questions about how their coaching staff is going to call the game. And on paper, they're clearly the more talented team. Like the only concern is Drew Brees. And I like, I don't really see where this talk about him declining as a deep ball passer comes from. Like on film, it's he's still one of the better ones in the league. He just doesn't do it as often. And he doesn't do it as often because he doesn't have the guys to do it. Like Ted Ginn has been hurt, and he now he's gone. He was really right. their deep threat. Michael Thomas is notoriously a guy that doesn't run a lot of deep routes. Like he gets a lot of flack for that on Twitter. Right. Maybe now that Emmanuel Sanders is in town, he's not really a deep threat in his own uh, right, but yeah. he's gonna. I think he's gonna inflate that that uh, average depth of target at least. I think I think Breeze is poised for a big year. He just has a great team around him, and the defense is so good and always evolving. I, I don't really see a weakness with this team at all. And I cannot say the same for the Seahawks. Like if you give Drew Brees time in the pocket, which he's going to have against that Seahawks pass rush, I don't see how he doesn't throw for at like 300 yards. Right. All right. So Super Bowl 55, you've uh, lined it up here. It is 55, right? Is that, am I am I remembering correctly? Uh, I lost count at 50. I gave up. <laughs> I was at that game. Uh Raymond James Stadium, February 7th. You've got the Ravens and Saints playing in this game. Uh, man, I, I, I hope that we get there with little to no interruption from the pandemic. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that we can just actually, whatever this game ends up being. But in, in, in the Stephen Ruiz season, Ravens, Saints, how does it go? I'm taking the Ravens. I know I everything I just said about the Saints, I think you can apply it to the Ravens, really. They're a team that doesn't have a lot of clear weaknesses, and the weaknesses they have are kind of mitigated by their scheme. Like, you could say they have question marks at receiver, but they don't really need receivers. Like, they didn't have receivers last year. Right. And they were the best team in em- when they went empty, which where you're not 
like where the threat of run isn't really there. I guess it is with Lamar. They were the best team in 11 personnel with three receivers on the field. So I know they rely a lot on tight ends, but they were really good when the tight ends weren't on the field either. And then on the other side, like you don't see a dominant edge rusher anywhere on the roster, but they don't need it because they have Don Wink Martindale and he's drawing up all these crazy blitzes and they get pressure on the quarterback and they have a deep secondary. I think their linebacker group is better now with Patrick Queen in there. Uh, I think they have the talent. They have the type of personnel that can overwhelm the Saints as good as the Saints are. Yeah. I mean, I I think the big, you know, we covered in depth, but Earl Thomas leaving and Deshaun Elliott being asked to step in there. uh, You know, that's obviously a huge step down and it limits what Wink Martindale can do. But I think, uh, you know, Earl Thomas fought with Chuck Clark uh, and, the fact that Thomas, you know, whatever was going on, we, there was a lot behind the scenes. There was an off-season incident with Thomas, too. Uh, so, you know, there may have been other things uh, contributing to the Ravens deciding to move on from such a sublime player. But really, Earl Thomas did not start making sense in the Ravens' defense last year until Chuck Clark emerged. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think they picked Clark as being the more important player uh, to what they're doing. So, uh, but, you know. Uh, Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters as your corners and, you know, Jimmy Smith roaming around is, you know, however they're going to use him. I mean, they've, they've got some depth in the secondary. So uh, I could see it happening, man. You're, you're building the hype for all the little, the little kids in my neighborhood. Um, they'll be nice. They'll I can't be, wait for them to be disappointed. They'll be <laughs> as I hope for all Baltimore sports fans. I can't wait. I'm, I'm very anti Baltimore sports, by the way. So it pains me to pick the Ravens. <laughs> my love of Lamar Jackson supersedes my hatred for Baltimore and for them withholding a baseball team from Washington for so long. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the Orioles are so bad, though, man. Who's the Orioles owner? I forgot his name. Peter Angelos. Oh, uh, God. I dislike that guy very much. I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone. I, uh, no, yeah. Like guy. He was he was very much like a savior in Baltimore for a long time. And then, uh, you know, because the team was, quote, unquote, going to move. Uh, you know, they, uh, they got so worried after the Colts left that, like, everything they cared about would just leave, uh, which is, like, the Orioles and crabs. And I don't, I don't think crabs like just leave the Bay. Uh, so they were so worried and felt like he was a savior, but, uh, he was the first guy I thought about when the nationals won the world series. That's how much, (laughs) like I wasn't even happy that the Nats won. I was just thinking about how, how upset he must've been. (laughs) You are so petty. It's amazing. (laughs) Amazing. Uh, all right, so that that is your prediction, um, guaranteed to be not even close to correct because that's how the NFL is <laughs> every year. Uh, and these predictions will look dumb by September twenty fifth. Uh, yeah, and then the conclusions we make September twenty fifth about how dumb these were will will be look even more wrong by October twenty fifth, and then exactly. we'll come back around in November, and you might look smart, and then. Uh, but that's that's why the NFL is so popular, man. It's, but hopefully by then the meteor will have hit. <laughs> you don't have to worry about any of that. You're envisioning a 2020 meteor? <laughs> seems, seems likely. Is that before or after the election, you think? Hopefully election night. <laughs> that's actually my dark horse MVP pick that I'm too much of a coward to make. <laughs> uh, what about this uh, Thursday? This is going to be our... I don't think we'll drop our next episode till Friday morning. So we actually can look ahead. The Texans and Chiefs will open the season Thursday night. Uh, you've already cracked a couple jokes at Bill O'Brien's expense, I think. Do you have any more in reserve that you've been holding on to? No, I don't. But I think Thursday night will be one big Bill O'Brien roast on Twitter, at least. <laughs> I. I do think that the Texans have a good chance. They they did beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead last year. But obviously, DeAndre Hopkins is gone, and he's been replaced by a running back, a, a third-string running back. People make the joke that he traded for a backup running back, but David Johnson was actually third on the Cardinals' depth chart by the time O'Brien made that trade. So I, I don't see how they keep up, and that's really what playing the Chiefs is going to be this year, is keeping up. Mm-hmm. And... Deshaun Watson is great, 
but he, you need weapons. And I think the Chiefs have the type of defense that could that is designed to be able to take away a team with only one or two weapons. And I think that's who the Texans are going to be if everything goes right. Like Will Fuller will have to stay healthy. He'll be in the lineup, obviously, for week one. And so will Brandon Cooks. Like that's really the issue with those two. But I think the Chiefs have the safeties and the the talent in the secondary to to mitigate those players. The problem that could arise for the Chiefs is they are missing uh, Rashad Bradley or Rashad uh, Breedlin in the first game. Right. He's I think he's out for the first month due to suspension. So that could be an issue, but I, I don't think it's going to be a problem. The Chiefs are going to score forty points. All right, so we will have an episode later this week, and we'll uh, dig in a little bit on the first week. Big questions that we're looking at. You know, obviously, as we keep mentioning, it's unprecedented. We just have so little information, so there's all sorts of questions hanging out there about uh, various players and teams. How's Tom Brady going to adjust in the Arians' offense? Uh, you know, all the all the issues we've talked about over the summer that we're going to be looking forward to, but we'll. We'll preview that in our next episode and, and get a little into the the nitty-gritty of the actual games coming. Uh, it feels like, you know, every every week one is hugely anticipated in the NFL. Uh, it feels like this will be just on an entirely different level for so many reasons. So I know we're excited, and we will dig into those games in our next show and really – think about what is coming, but Steven, how do you want to end this episode before we plunge into the season? I don't even know. I'm just excited that we're going to have a football game to talk about next time we have a podcast. I'm really looking forward to that. We have not had that in the history of the counter podcast. It's, it's going to be an exciting episode to say the least. That's a good point. All right, everybody stay safe. Uh, and we will talk to you later this week after an NFL football game is played. Amazing. Take care, guys. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports, featuring For the Wind, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman.